We're going to start a new series today. Um, with the, the series is called I Am. And seven times in the Bible, Jesus said, I am. And then he put a different adjective at the end of that sentence. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what Jesus called himself. And uh, today we're going to talk about how he said, I am bread. I am bread. So let's unpack that thought. Um, it reads like this in John chapter 6, verse 35. Reads, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So I'm going to talk about three things. Number one is I'm going to talk about bread's value. Then I'm going to talk about the bread winner. And then my third point is going to be bread now. Bread's value, the bread winner, and then bread now. Um, you know, I, has anyone here wait tables right now or has ever waited tables? Wave your hand. Absolutely. I waited tables. You guys have heard me talk about it before. I've waited tables at about 19 to 21 different restaurants. I got fired a lot, all right? Uh, in fact, every time I, I think I got fired. And, um, you know, I was just kind of learning my way, realizing they're picky about showing up on time and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they got real upset when I was rude to customers and things like that. But I loved it. I loved it. One of my favorite places to work uh, was Carabas. And uh, I remember we would take a loaf of bread and would stick it in this bread cutter and it'd go and make these perfect slices. And it was one of my favorite moments was walking up to the table and laying that hot basket of bread on the table. Because every time somebody opens it up and goes, ooh. You know, uh, so I got the, the same kind of bread that we served at Carabas, but... Uh, if I really wanted to connect with more of you, I would have brought a basket of bread from Olive Garden. <laughs> Olive Garden. How many people here, all you need is some Olive Garden bread and a bowl of minestrone soup, and that's it? Uh, or any kind of soup. In fact, we don't even need soup. Just bring the bread. You know, want me to mess your world up? I went to Olive Garden one time and, and a, uh, we, the bread came and the person that I was with said, can we have just a little bowl of our Alfredo sauce? And I said, what? I dipped it in there and I wanted to change my name <laughs> because I was never the same again. So I just, I wanted to just change my name. Uh, but bread is a staple uh, in the Western world. Um, here I've got, um, I'm Italian, I'm half Italian, half Brazilian, and so uh, I think I had bread before I had milk um, as a baby. But you know, when you are eating a bowl of pasta and you've got bread in your hand, there is an art to this. You, you don't just dive into that. Uh, there's an art to it. So if you're holding bread and you've got a fork 
and you're going, you're diving into a bowl of pasta, there is a tandem force going back and forth. There, there is this, it's like a seesaw. It's like a perfect balance between pasta and bread. And, and if you do not handle it properly, you will have failed at the end of your meal. Because there's more going on than just eating. There is a success and pass mark that everybody receives and everybody knows it at the table. Uh, they may not say it out loud, but they know it. And, and here's the deal. Uh, while you're eating a bowl of pasta, when you take that last bite of pasta and the bowl is gone, it, you take that last bite, you should have one bite of bread left. Are you with me? You, you should have one. Now, if you have more than one bite of bread left, you failed. You did. You got caught up in the moment. You got over emotional. Your, your, your taste buds took control of logic. You failed because What's supposed to happen is you take that last bite of pasta and you got one bite left and what do you do with that last bite? I love it, I'm telling you. I wish all of you guys could stand right where I did because I just saw the whole crowd go. <laughs> you gotta clean the bowl with that last bite. And then boom, and then when you give the bowl back to the waiter, there's always a little bit of awkwardness. Because that bowl is cleaner than it was when she gave or he gave it to you. It's like they don't even need to bring it to the dish guy. It's ready. You can see the flowers at the bottom of the plate. It's like, whoop, ah, bingo. Are you with me on that? But bread is a common thing. It's not something that's overly valued in the Western world. It's a staple. You expect to see it. You expect to have it. Uh, in certain restaurants, if they don't bring the bread, you're like, what's up? Where's the bread? Uh, it's a staple. Uh, bread can be an entire meal. Um, by itself. In fact, in the Bible, that's exactly what it was. It wasn't a common thing. In fact, uh, if you could prepare bread properly, uh, it was a, a way of commerce uh, in those days. Bread was a valuable thing. Bread was not a, a, a part of a meal. Bread was the meal. And it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Let me, uh, let me show, to, show it to you. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, Adam and Eve had already been kicked out uh, for, uh, for sinning out of the Garden of Eden. And the Bible says, by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. So prior to that moment, clearly the insinuation is, is that in the Garden of Eden, you could have bread without working for it. That's a blessing. And there was no caloric punishment in the Garden of Eden. I've said this before, so just allow me to be repetitive. We know there was no caloric punishment because the Bible says that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. <laughs> so they were pounding bread and they were like, 
Anyway, all right. I'm telling you, the Bible's an awesome book, folks. It's not, it hasn't been a bestseller forever and ever for no reason at all. Okay, so here we go. Genesis chapter 19, angels showed up to Lot, a guy named Lot. Watch what Lot did. Lot looked at the angels and he insisted so that at last they went home with him. Lot prepared a feast for them, complete with fresh bread made without yeast, and they ate. Now, one of these days, we are going to meet Lot in heaven. And the first thing that I'm going to say to Lot is, you saw an angel and invited him to your house. You are the man. That's what I'm going to say. Because if I see an angel, first of all, I'm going to faint. Right away. If, if they have wings, it's over. <laughs> right away. But to look at the angel and say, hop in, we're going to my house. Come on. But he gets back and he prepares a meal. Now, if an angel comes to your house, you're going to want to give a good meal. You're not going to want to like crack open wolf chili. The best meal that he had to offer was some hot bread. In Acts, um, let me see here, in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, they were talking about the believers, Christians, and it says this, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. How often do they go to church? <laughs> we got a new schedule coming up. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So every day they went to church. And so they met at two different places, the believers. Um, the book of Acts was written shortly after Jesus died and rose again. And so those believers, they went to church every day. And then in the evenings, they went to each other's house and they ate. And so... Whenever I stand up here and I say, we want to have life groups, I don't care. We just want you plus two. You can meet at Starbucks. You can meet at your house. You can meet at the office during your lunch break. What we are doing is modeling the kind of church that existed in the book of Acts. That's what we're doing. And so I'm encouraging you, you plus two. And if you're not a theologian, that's perfect. Because then you can sit down with somebody and say, look, I don't know it all either. We're going to learn together. And so that's what we're modeling. And I really hope that you guys make that a priority in your life to sign up to be a life group leader for that reason. But notice that when they met, they ate bread. They sat down and ate bread. So bread in those days was a primary delicacy. It was a primary meal. Their lives revolved around bread. Jesus stood up and said, bread, that's me. If you have me, if you have me, you will never hunger Again. Now he was talking to thousands of people when he said that. 
And so most people looked at him and said, what are you talking about? And what Jesus was trying to say is, I am not a side dish. I am not something that you can take it or leave it. I am the dish. Now, for those of you that are like me, if you walk into Olive Garden, you know that um, you could eat bread only and then not save any room for your meal. And so sometimes I can look at the waiter and say, don't even bring the bread. Has anyone ever said that? Don't bring the bread. Has anyone here ever gone to a Mexican restaurant and say, don't bring chips? Because I, I, I want to eat what I'm about to pay for. And if you bring chips, I'm going to eat them and eat them and eat them. I'm going to be full by the time. So in the Western world, you can take bread or leave it. And what Jesus is saying is, don't take me or leave me and be fine. I'm not a take it or leave it kind of person. I am something that needs to be the main course in your life. I had a very interesting experience over the past two weeks. Uh, for those of you uh, that were at church uh, two weeks and three weeks ago, you noticed that I missed two Sundays in a row because our family went on a vacation. And we went to Vancouver to visit my mother-in-law. In fact, she's here today. Uh, Jill, why don't you stand up and wave at everybody? Go ahead, stand up and wave at everybody. This is... Jill, I know what you're thinking. She's so young. She had Allie when she was 11. So it's... But uh, nevertheless, um, when we were up there and then we went to Denver and we went to Dallas, I started noticing because I was out of the church world for 14 days straight. Now you got to realize I live, eat, and sleep telling people about Jesus. That's That's my whole assignment in life. And so if I'm not doing it on the stage, I'm trying to figure out how we can do it better throughout the week. But it's, it's all I ever think about. So for two weeks straight, I'm outside of the church world and I'm outside of the state. I'm sorry, the city of the Woodlands, Conroe Spring, North Houston. And so I started realizing that most people... Church is a very, very small part of their life for most people. It rarely crosses their mind. And I was shocked because I have been under the assumption (laughs) that everybody is sitting around waiting for Sunday to come around. I know why you're laughing because that's not the case. You guys work and you have lives, but you're a very unique person because you desire to come. Most of the world doesn't even cross their mind. And so I was just in a state of shock because Jesus's message over 2000 years ago applies to today. He's saying, I am not the take it or leave it thing in your life. I'm not the thing of, oh, do I feel like doing it? I don't feel like That's not who I am. I am the main course. So let me unpack three reasons why. Number one is the value of bread, the value of Jesus. So I'm going to use the word bread and Jesus as interchangeable words, okay? So when I say bread, I mean Jesus. When I say Jesus, I mean bread. 
So he's saying, he, he begins to show the value. Now, once you have experienced the value, of, once you have experienced bread, once you have experienced Jesus at a certain degree, it ruins you. Like you can never be the same again. Now watch this. If you have experienced this much bread, if you have experienced this much Jesus, this much church, you could almost take it or leave it. You could almost do that. Yeah, you want to go to church? Yeah, we can go to church. Do, uh, I've, have you prayed? I need to pray. I haven't prayed in a long time. You could almost take it or leave it if you've only experienced this much. But if you have experienced this much, you can no longer be okay taking it or leaving it. It's with you forever. Some of you could stand up and say, I know what you're talking about. Because you experienced him to a great degree at one point in your life. And then you went through a long season with him on the back burner. And even though he was on the back burner, it never, he never left your mind. He never, you, the desire stayed. Why did it stay? Because once you experience it, you're ruined forever. Now watch this. In Acts chapter, let me make sure, we're not going to read it together, but I want you to read it when you get home. In, in Acts chapter 16, there was two guys that got arrested and they were put in prison. They were in prison and about midnight an angel shows up and unlocks their handcuffs and their chains and unlocks Watch this. All the doors in the prison. Not just Paul and Silas's, not just the preacher's door. All of the doors. So now you got this prison with the most evil people in the whole city are now able to walk out. Thieves, murderers, Rapists, the most evil people of the day are now able to walk out because when the angel showed up, he freed everybody. Now watch this. The guard saw what happened, took his spear, flipped it upside down, laid it on, the, and he's just going to run himself through and kill himself because he knows he's going to be assassinated for allowing this to happen. Paul, the preacher, says, don't do that. Don't kill yourself. Watch this. We're all still here. Now, think about this. See, when you read the Bible, it doesn't matter how much you read. You just read it slow. Why would murderers, rapists, and thieves who have an opportunity to leave, not leave. I'll tell you why. An angel that spends time in the presence and in the courts of God is dripping with the presence of God, 
shows up in the prison and these evil people are now experiencing something that they've never experienced before and now what they what used to be their greatest desire is being overshadowed by something that they just now experienced for the first time and so they don't want to leave even if it gives them what this world has to offer because they would rather be in prison with God than be on the mountaintop without him. Mimi, that was pretty good. The value, Jesus is saying this, he's going, look, I am that bread. I am that centerpiece. And if you can take me or leave me, it's, it's not because I'm not awesome. It's only because you haven't experienced me. It's the value. Number two, the breadwinner. When, when there was the children of Israel in the Old Testament, they were freed um, from slavery. They were leaving and Moses was leading them. You guys have heard the story of parting the Red Sea and they all walk through the Red Sea and now they're, they're standing in this wilderness. There's, there's not a Kroger or an H-E-B, okay? And so what God did is he arranged for birds. Only God could do this. I used to own a cockatiel. I wanted to teach him how to talk. He just looked at me with his... Only God could do this. Birds every day would fly by and drop like out of the sky. Now, God could have, if he wanted to, arranged for when they wake up, for it to be nice and warm sitting next to them. He could have done that because he's done things like that before. There was a preacher named Elisha who walked up to this widow and said, look, go get all the vials, the vases that you can find. And as she began to gather these vases, they would become miraculously filled with oil right there in her house. So he could have done the same thing, just not with oil, but with bread. But bread represents him. And what he's saying is, is that somebody is gonna have to get out of the tent and get the bread and bring it home to the family. Somebody's gonna have to do that. And so often, we lay in the comfort of our own home or in our office or in our car and we're like, I wish God would do something. And the Lord is like this, you do not get more of me through osmosis. Somebody is gonna have to pursue me. Somebody is gonna have to say, I want you enough to go 
do something about it. There's a reason why when you walk out of this church, you feel stronger and more at peace because you left your tent, your house this morning and came into the presence of God and when you go home, you bring it with you. But the cool thing is, is that when you bring it with you, you don't just bring it home to you. You bring it home and you literally start passing it out without realizing you're passing it out. And so your children, your wife, your husband, even though they're sitting there watching golf, whether they realize it or not, you're passing it out. Somebody has to get out of the tent and go get it. Now on a very personal level, let this tell us that we can't just think about wanting him, we've got to actually open our mouth and tell the Lord, I want more of you in my life. That is leaving the comfort zone. That is leaving the tent and expressing your desire for him. And when you do that, you begin to pull back the curtain on what was common for other people is now special for you. My last and final point, I've talked about the value. I've talked about being the breadwinner. And I wanna talk about the third point, bread now. Because I believe there's a lot of you, and, I, and while I was preparing for this sermon, I thought about this point in the sermon, there's going to be people in the room, not everybody, but there's gonna be people in the room that say, I'm in. <laughs> like, I want to experience more. I'm not at that place where I'm just ruined. I, I really do want to experience more. And I want it like right now. I don't want it like six months from now or a year from now. I would like to experience it right now. And for you, I say this. Only two things are required. To be hungry and humble. To be humble enough to say, I desire you. To be humble enough to say, my life is not good enough without you. Watch this. To be humble enough to say, every good thing I've ever received came from you. And every good thing I will ever receive will come from you. You know, the blessings, most of the blessings that you have received in your life, if not all of them, God gave them to you without you even asking for them. Did you wake up this morning and say, God, make me healthy today? I don't want to go to the hospital today. I just want to be healthy. Who prayed that prayer? Like two people? Actually, none of you guys actually. None of us prayed that. I don't want to go to the hospital today. He gives us blessings that we don't even ask for. Because he is that good. But to be humble enough to say, I need you. And then the hunger level. Watch this. These are two scriptures that I want to share with you. Um, the first one reads like this. This one thing I ask from the Lord, 
This only do I seek. If I can only have, look at the humility and the hunger. God, if I can only have one thing, and when you are seven years old, this is a hard prayer to pray. But after you've lived a little bit of life, this becomes an easier prayer to pray because you've already seen everything the world has to offer. And you're not impressed. If there's only one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, gaze at his beauty, and dwell in his temple forever. If, if I can just spend time in the sanctuary here on earth and, and gaze at your face with my spiritual eyes and oh, to be in the temple in heaven. Oh, that's gonna be awesome. I just wanna stay there forever and ever and ever. Now here's a scripture that may be new for some of you and it's gonna become your favorite. Watch this. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. See, some of you feel this whisper. Seek him. Seek him. Pray. Pray. I need, I need to pray more. You, you feel it. My, my heart tells me to pray. Lord, I'm going to pray. Lord, my heart tells me to seek you. Lord, I'm going to seek you. This is not for everybody in the room. But some of you, you just feel this pull, this compelling, this invitation in your heart. And your response is, okay. Hunger and humility causes us to, ex to go from what we've been experiencing to more of what he has to offer. Let's all stand to our feet for me, please. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And I'd like for all the prayer partners in the room to come down if you would. Nobody looking around. If your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, hear me carefully. Are you 100% sure you know where you'd spend eternity? If the answer is no, I, I am not 100% sure. Would you just raise your hand right where you are? That's it, hands are going up all over the room. As an outward sign of surrender, can all of us in this room just raise both hands? And just say these simple words, dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Would you please be my Lord and Savior? I love you very much. 
In Jesus' name, amen. The reason why our prayer partners are down here is because I know that many of us in this room uh, we're fighting a battle right now that nobody else knows about. But the Lord knows about it and he wants to fight on our behalf. Don't look around. Don't wonder who's going to go down there and pray. It's, it, you're the only one in the room. If you want to call on him for help, come out of your seat right now as fast as you can and come down here and let someone pray with you. And the rest of us, there's no official dismissal can leave whatever you get ready. But may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine down upon you. May his countenance be lifted up on you and deliver you. And may the grace and peace of God be with you all the days of your life. In Jesus' name, amen.